check us out. We're actually recording when we said when we, we would said for we once. Would, when it says in the diary that we were going to. I know. I'm so proud of I us. Know. I mean, well. I will confess that we were we when we did put this date in. We did put two did in put two. to make sure that at least one of them we stuck. We missed the first one. So. <laughs> Welcome to episode 11 of the Bookcast Club. This episode, Jenny and I talk about recent and current reads and our recommendations for spooky autumn books. If you enjoy the episode, please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. If you've got any questions or comments or thoughts for future episodes, always feel free to drop us an email at thebookcastclub at outlook.com or tweet us at at bookcastclub on Twitter. Hope you enjoy the episode. Getting better. We are getting better. Clearly, this clearly this is a system that works for us, though. So we'll have to do this yeah, again. Yeah, we'll set a date today. Our autumn slash New Year's resolution to make sure that we put two know, dates in the diary. <laughs> put two dates in the diary, and then eventually we'll only need to put one. Yeah, exactly. In. But I think, but you know, well, I don't know though. I think we're both busy professionals, and I think putting two in probably is well. Hopefully, it's working for us. for us at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Cool. So. Ooh. What's your reading been like over the last, what, six weeks? It's, do you know what? It's actually really not been that great. I'm really, I don't know why. I've just really not been reading all that much for the last few weeks. I think it's actually, do you know what? I know exactly why. It's because I finally got to the end of Grey's Anatomy on Amazon (laughs) Prime. (laughs) And I had like one season left to go and I just fully binged it. Um... And I will say, it's taken me since Christmas of last year until now to watch 13 seasons, but I've done it. That's pretty and good going. I think that's pretty good going, but I've literally watched like nothing else. Yeah. Anyway, so I think I got a bit carried away with that and was like watching episodes before bed, which is such a bad habit. And that was me. I wasn't reading very much. So yes, it's not been great. How about you? How's your reading been? Yeah, all right this month. Um, I've been listening to quite a few audiobooks. Guess what? What? So have I. Have you? I've been listening to an audiobook. Aren't you proud I of me? I am proud of you. <laughs> I deliberately kept it a secret until now so I could get your actual That's reaction. That's how I consume most of the books that I read <laughs> is audiobooks. Ah. Uh, I will confess that I'm not sure how I'm finding it. Uh-oh. I feel like I'm, I, I feel like I still prefer to listen to podcasts and read books than to listen to audiobooks. I've learned what type of audiobook I like. So you okay, might find so... that you need to kind of work out what works for you on audio. Yeah, that's a good idea. So do you want to tell me what you've been listening to first and then I'll tell you what I have? Yeah, well, I've got three. I'll try and Ooh. rattle through them, otherwise we'll be here all night because two of them I know that you've read and Ooh, we've probably okay. therefore talked about it on here before. So first one was Tiny Beautiful Thins. By Cheryl Strayed. Does she read it herself? She reads it herself, yes. Oh my god, that must be so good. See, I think that's the sort of thing I think you'd like on audio. Yeah. Do you listen to her podcast, which is now finished? No, I think I'll give it a go, though, now that I've um, listened to this. There's absolutely loads of episodes. So it's called Dear Sugars, um, obviously. And it's with Steve Almond, who was the original Sugar. 
So the Dear Sugar column on the rumpus was originally written by a man. Shocker. Shock horror. Ag- Agony Aunt column written by a man. And he handed it over to her and they've become really good friends. But yeah, Tiny Beautiful Things. It's so good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I loved well, it. Well, I think No, so. I loved it. I gave it five out of five stars. Um, I think I wrote a review about it on my blog. And I mean, I, we've spoken before her... We've spoken before about how I wasn't a massive fan of Wild, and I think that's because I felt it was quite superficial. I found her quite irritating, <laughs> and I found some of the decisions she made quite rash. And I think it's because now having read this book, that actually, I think Wild is lacking a is lacking depth so some of the things that she does I don't think she necessarily explained why yeah. whereas reading Tiny Beautiful Things that is completely obvious why she made the life choices that she did and yeah I just thought she's lived an incredible life and the book is so honest and her you know replies to so Tiny Beautiful Things is the letters that she a selection of the letters that she received while she was doing Dear Sugar and her responses. And she's not your, like, typical agony aunt. Like, she she pretty much writes personal essays in response. And she's just so wise and so amazing and has just had a really rough life, actually. And she it was like listening to your best friend who gives, like, the best advice yeah um, it's amazing yeah, deal with your it? problems so the the podcast is very much like that as well it is genuinely fantastic and I think this might be the reason that I liked wild so much is that I'd listened to a lot of dear sugars I think that's exactly before why. Yeah. I read wild so I actually had a lot of this context so actually hearing you say that yeah kind of I was familiar with why she made some of these decisions like I was familiar with like the abuse she suffered as a child and you know um the breakdown of her marriage and all of this stuff because she talks about it very very candidly on the podcast and it's brilliant isn't it I think she's just kind of like this wise auntie or wise big sister or best friend kind of figure that you just think whatever you have to say there's uh, there's like never any judgment there's never any kind of negativity and it's always kind of reminding you that we're all human yeah and we all don't all of us make terrible decisions at times and all of us learn something from those decisions and I think that's the thing that I take away most from Tiny Beautiful Things and from the podcast is that it just yeah that everything we do everything we go through we learn something I guess so yeah I just I just thought it was brilliant and I think if you and I'm sure that anybody actually would relate to at least one of the letters that she's received and responded to. And when she does respond, it is literally like your best friend who's, you know, caring, but honest, speaking directly to you. And I just, yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I really want to try Wild again, because I think I'll understand her a lot more. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad that you liked it because I was really sad when you didn't like Wild. Yeah, no, and I know that you were like, no, it's amazing. <laughs> I was like, we didn't get it that it was amazing. Um, yeah. But I think now having the context, I think I would enjoy it a lot more. Amazing. Actually, you've reminded me, I actually bought Tiny Beautiful Things for a friend of mine who was just about, who was just 
going on holiday a couple of weeks ago. So I need to text her and see what she thought about yeah. it because I was saying the same thing to her. I was like, it's brilliant. It's amazing. You need to read it because she also loved the podcast. So I was like, of course you're going to love this book. Um, but yeah, good. Oh, yeah. Off to Listen a great to the start. audio. The audio is brilliant yeah, because it's her, her reading it. So, And I think oh. the chappy that you just said... Steve Almond. I think he's... Mm, I'm guessing now, but there's a chap that does the introduction. Almost yeah, certainly so, will be him. He, he because seems he very lovely the, as well. Oh, he's got such a soothing voice. Yeah, I'm sure it's him. Yeah. Sure it's him. yeah. So, yes. on the, po- the The brilliant thing about the podcast um, is that they basically have these styles that they fall into with pretty much all of their answers to the question. So it's basically them answering letters in the same way as the Dear Sugar column. And basically every time... Cheryl Strayed is like, this reminds me of a time in my life when, and Steve Almond goes, this reminds me of a piece of literature I've read wow. and has the most perfect piece of literature for basically any that situation. Really good. It's really nice. And it's actually, though it is quite funny sometimes when somebody's like, my best friend kidnapped my dog and like <laughs> all of, you know, some sort of really dramatic experience. And they're like, this reminds me of a time when, <laughs> or this reminds me of this thing that I read. And it's brilliant. So yes, would totally recommend yeah, um, that's my first cool. one. Cool, awesome. So, my audiobook experience. Bearing in mind, this is the only audiobook I've listened to, except for the Stephen Fry readings of the Harry Potter books, which are the best audiobooks ever. Yeah, and I think good. that is the hill I am most willing to mm-hmm. die on. Um, I've been listening to Calypso by David Sedaris, um, which is really, really good. Um, it's like, so it's kind of. A memoir it's kind of a collection of short essays and it's kind of about this house in a funny sort of way it's about this house that he buys in the outer banks of North Carolina basically on Emerald Isle um that it's kind of like a beach house basically that he and his husband buy that's kind of a house for the entire family and where they all gather um and the house is called the sea section which I think is hilarious. And it's, there's this whole um, chapter in the book about why it's called the C-section, about how it's, you know, in the area, every house has got like a funny name that's slightly nautically themed. And yeah, so that's great. And it's kind of a book about growing older, I think, and your family and what happens to your family as you grow older. Because there's a lot about his dad as his dad is aging and stuff. And it's very 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 funny genuinely I've been stood there that person standing there on the tube crying with laughter at something that nobody else can hear and I look like such a weirdo when this happens and it's just brilliant there's this fantastic essay in there that you can read online somewhere so I'll find a link for it so we can put it in the comments about how he gets his Fitbit and how you've got how you're told you should walk 10,000 steps a day. And he's there like, you know, 10,000 steps a day, that's fine if you're, you know, just recovering from having your lower leg amputated and stuff like this. And basically he gets really carried away and he starts to do like 60,000 steps a day around like the Surrey Hills and stuff. Because he's American, but he and his husband live in the UK. And it's genuinely just so funny about how he's like, picking up litter and all of the stuff that he sees kind of in his local community and stuff um and there's this other stuff about you know how he goes to Japan and the ridiculous clothes that he buys and just 
it's genuinely just like a really great listen that's also a brilliant kind of rumination I think on on aging and stuff so I'm quite tempted to get the um the physical book for my dad for Christmas so I hope he's not listening to this don't think he would be um but I think he would really enjoy it I think it's the sort of thing that parents would really enjoy and the reason I decided that this was one that I was going to give a go was because David said they do a lot of segments from David Sedaris books that he reads on This American Life which is another podcast that I love um and I thought I really always enjoy his segments on there he reads it himself so I was like I knew kind of what I was getting into so I think like you're saying like yeah the sort of ones where it's memoir or real life in some way I think is probably where I need to go with audiobooks so if anyone's got any recommendations of others that I should listen to please let me know because I've got more audible credits to use before I have to cancel my membership at the end of November (laughs) (laughs) yeah I've never heard of him before it makes sense that um yeah he's written absolutely tons let me see how many he's written I feel like he's read sorry he's written yeah he's 11 story and essay collections so you're bound to find at least one that you like I'm sure so uh yeah it's brilliant really really would recommend really would recommend Calypso though and particularly Stepping Out is the um is the story I was talking about which is the um where he does like a million steps a day and it's hilarious cool I'll have to add that to my audible wish list (laughs) cool um so the second book and i listened to this as well because work has just started a book club and they chose it it's one that i've avoided because of the mass hype surrounding it and you've read it already because you've talked about it on the podcast and that is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine oh very interested to hear your thoughts (laughs) what do you reckon I'm gonna say I really don't know because I wasn't that big of a fan of it but I feel like you could go either way I think you're gonna say it's (laughs) overhyped so actually I really enjoyed it damn it why am I the weirdo that doesn't like this book now I think the reason, the reason that I was avoiding it is one because it is very hyped, but two because I thought it was going to be misery porn. No twee fiction. Um, so what book really didn't? Oh, so I really didn't like um, three things about Elsa. Yes, because it was so twee, like sickeningly twee that I just just couldn't and I, I don't even remember what happened like it's one of those audiobooks that I played at like triple speed and was barely paying attention to in the end and that's what I thought this was going to be like because they tend to come up in the same when people are recommending one then they recommend the other and so I was quite reluctant but obviously work chose it I was like okay well you know I'll listen to it but yeah I was really surprised by this one I think it helped that I listened to it and that the narrator was very good. Not that I can remember who that was off the top of my head. But um, I think I just thought it was very cleverly done. And actually, you know, Eleanor's com- 
you know, she's a very irritating character at the start of the book. And, but you can kind of instantly tell that there's more going on with that. And I felt a bit guilty about finding her irritating. I think, I thought, I really hope that I don't find it irritating throughout mm. this whole book. <laughs> I think <laughs> I, I feel really bad. I, I did find her irritating throughout the whole book, unfortunately. I think the thing that I struggled with most with it is that it was like, that everything kind of got wrapped up in a neat bow at the end. And I think that's kind of where I struggled with it. Because I think, I can't really explain why I find that annoying in this book when that's typically what happens in a book. Is See, I don't think it was neatly tied up at the end. So, because she, I felt that you went on a journey with Eleanor and in in a similar way that if you met someone like that in real life if you gave them the time of day you might develop a relationship like the chap that I now can't remember his Raymond. name yeah that Raymond does yeah. and, I, and it made me think about myself and think about I really hope that my own tolerance levels would be high enough to give someone a chance and not just dismiss them um, yeah, you're right. And you're I th- right. And I think it was, you know, because they do develop a very close relationship, and it would. Okay, spoiler alert. Now you need to not listen for the next ten seconds <laughs> if you haven't read it, because I'm gonna blit out the ending. But you know, she could very easily have finished that book with them getting together. Yes, and I'm so and glad they, they didn't. And I, th- I feel like for the book it was because it is twee, but it's not like sickeningly sweet twee it's and I feel like that was the end in the book deserved and not a cheesy let's get them together and live happily ever after ending I mean I had issues with it it's not perfect but it's not going to be I mean it's her first novel and I think yeah I did really enjoy I think it surprised me and I think that was the main thing is actually I hadn't read it because of the hype. I avoided it because of the hype. And then because I enjoyed it, maybe that's clouded my judgment slightly. But I did enjoy it and I did enjoy the conversation it generated in our book club. Yeah, I'm sure it's a really good book club read, to be honest. I think, yeah, I think, do you know what? Probably I should probably read it again at some point. I think I was just a bit harsh on it, maybe. But at the same time, I'm often not a fan of books that are a bit twee. I think I need I need quite a bit of grit in my books, I think. Um, which is where, you know, I'm just thinking about like some of my favourites, like Sweet Frances, for instance, is horrible. And the bit that I like more is the bit at the beginning when everything is awful rather than the love story, which is the second half. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not... Maybe this is why I'm not a big fan of, like, chiclet as you know because i need a bit of grit and stuff that i'm reading i mean i don't normally read chiclet no you don't so dare i let this fall into the category of chiclet i don't know i don't just slightly i think it's on the edge think, of it i think yeah it's, and this is my i would level say that i can deal with yeah which i wouldn't say is like chiclet in the same way as like the shopaholic books are chiclet no but i would say this is kind of this is book club chiclet I would say easily consumable is that yeah and what I mean by like 
book club chiclet is i mean it's like it's got enough about it that you can have a good conversation about it but it's easily consumable it's something that i think most people will like um i'm trying to think of other books that i would put into that context um um i can't think of any off the top of my head now because i don't tend to read them very often i know what you mean though yeah i think so i read a book um last year or maybe even the year before called the versions of us which is kind of a bit sliding doorsy um it's by laura bennett i think and that one i would say sort of falls into the same category in that there's lots to talk about but it's a very easy happily consumable read that you can read kind of quite nicely on a sunlounger or on the train or you know it's not like a a book that kind of requires huge amounts of brain power but is they're the, nice um, they're the books that are normally the reasons why i don't like joining book clubs yep it's same. places like work same <laughs> but you know they all know that i read and you know do what i do so they were like you have to join it's like okay oh no <laughs> i'll try not to rip apart books that you lot really like no but i think um, that sort of person makes for a good person in a book club because a book club is boring I, i'm not a member of any book club so tell if you are tell me if i'm wrong here but i feel like a book club would be really boring if everybody just agreed on how much they liked the book every time okay so my other recently finished as of today for the second time though um is Engleby by Sebastian Folks and oh my god first time around first time I read this I really did not like it I didn't get it I thought it was weird and not good at all and I love Sebastian Folks I love Birdsong I love um what's it called The Girl at the Lion Door um I love Charlotte Grey is very good as well. On Green Dolphin Street, I read and found very slow. But basically, I went through a phase, probably when I was about 18 to 20, or maybe even 16 to 20, where I read quite a lot of Sebastian Fox and quite a lot of Ian McEwan all in one go, really. And I think I thought I was very clever and very grown up to be reading such books. Um, And you're just laughing at me. But yes, I think basically I was a precocious late teens book snob basically and the problem with being a precocious late teens book snob is you miss stuff and you don't get things and I did not get Engleby first time around and basically I was listening to um Sebastian Folks on Elizabeth Day's podcast How to Fail which I think I mentioned last time yeah and they were talking about Engleby and and he was saying that it was his favourite book or like the quickest book that he wrote and it all just kind of came to him in one like stream of consciousness which he's like he's like it's the easiest book to react to write and Elizabeth Day was saying about how much she loved it and I was like thinking what do they see in this book why don't I get it and I had it and when I went back to my mum's at the beginning of September I brought it back with me and I just sort of started reading it again the other week and oh my god I totally get it this time it's it's very dark it's quite funny it's it's quite twisted in a funny sort of way and like there's elements of it it's so basically the narrator um which is Mike Engleby the 
you know, the titular character, the eponymous character, whatever the right word is, um, he is intensely unlikable. He is a horrid character. And you realise, you know, you kind of, you start this book and he's very, it's, to me, it comes across as very like Catcher in the Rye and kind of very Holden Coalfield. There's this bit right at the beginning where, that I actually bookmarked and wrote Catcher in the Rye because if I can find it again, there it is, um, where he literally says, they gave me a feel- feeling I'd seldom had before. Like sometimes when I'd watched Julie and one of her friends from school when she was five or six, I used to sit on the other side of the room and just observe them playing, which is so much like the whole carousel thing in Catcher in the Rye and I don't really like Catcher in the Rye you I feel like you have to be a 14 year old boy when you read it to like Catcher in the Rye it's you know one of those but there's this whole thing about Engleby being this intensely disliked character he's very much disliked by all the people around him he's arrogant and he's a snob and he's weird in so many ways and you realize and basically he's he starts the book starts with him starting at uni at this at what he refers to as an ancient institution which very clearly is Cambridge and the people that he meets and what he thinks of these people and there's this girl who then goes missing and you kind of you at first I think you wouldn't really think anything of it and then as the book goes on you slowly start to realize that this is a very dangerous man I think or this is this you know something something has happened and that he has been involved in um and it's really good it gets very I will say it gets very slow in the middle there's this whole middle bit where he's just kind of going through his life being a bit weird and you're there thinking like, come on, something needs to happen now. And then all of a sudden it does. And this morning when I was, I finished it literally this morning and I was that person who got off the tube reading their book still, nearly missed my stop because I was reading and I literally was walking like along the road to work reading as I walked. And I was like, I'm that really obnoxious person that keeps bumping into things because they're reading and they're not paying any attention. Um, it's really really good um it's i would still say obviously my favorite sebastian fox is definitely still bad song because i think there are very few books as good as bad song but engleby's really climbed the ranks it's really good mm, i haven't read any <laughs> sebastian fox i own bird song so i need to Have read, you not read it. bird song no i need to i've got it oh i'm really surprised at that i know Have you read I know I've mentioned it loads of times. I think I've mentioned it almost every episode. But have you read The Narrow Road to the Deep North? No. No. So read Birdsong and then read The Narrow Road to the Deep North because there's a lot of parallels between the two, I think. Um, And they're both very, very good. And I think they're both Booker Prize winners. Um, So, yeah, really rate both of them, if I'm honest. Um, Birdsong's just brilliant. Um, Sebastian Fox has had a couple of meh moments um i would say but yeah engleby's not one of them so i am currently reading (laughs) i don't really know why (laughs) the um physical version 
kind of glad I'm not listening to this. I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. As American Psycho. So okay. I have a friend <laughs> who me and her both like reading horror. So we tend to choose a book together and then read it together and talk about it. And yes, you were saying about this before. Yes. And we decided to read American Psycho. I've never seen the film. I know it's not going to be very nice. Um, the book is a whole other level of not very nice. Um, I really like I'm not why? sure that I'd recommend it to anybody, in fact. Um, but it's very compelling. <laughs> so it's about a guy called Patrick Bateman. I mean, he's quite a famous character, I suppose. And he is a psychopath. <laughs> and, but the way that... Um, oh, God, what's his name? The guy who wrote it. Hold on. Oh, Brett Easton Ellis. So the way yes. Brett Easton Ellis writes this character is very very clever so it's all narrated from Patrick Bateman's viewpoint and because he's a psychopath he basically just kind of talks about himself and what he's obsessed with his looks he's obsessed with what he looks like he's obsessed with how he dresses he's obsessed with what people think of him he's obsessed with um, going to all the best restaurants and being seen oh, eating oh. at all the fanciest places and he describes everything he does in kind of minute detail so he'll have whole chapters on how he's done his hair and the products he's whole used chapters. I mean I say chapter I mean they'll be like two pages It's but still that's quite a lot yeah so and then there's a whole chapter on Genesis because he loves Genesis. So you have this whole <laughs> chapter of him kind of analysing Genesis's latest album. There's another one for Whitney Houston. And there's... Um, God, that sounds really hard work. You'd, you'd think it was, but you get into the flow of it. So, and then there's little hints here and there that it is quite funny in places like quite darkly humorous so they go to all these places whenever somebody speaks to him like they never get his name right because they'll always (laughs) refer to him as someone else and this happens all the time so you just start to get the impression that that because they're all like i think it's set in the 80s on the 90s they're all like american yuppies and they all dress the same and they're all obsessed with like looking amazing and going he's like I've been to the gym two hours this morning and all this kind of stuff and um Mm. but he describes everything in minute detail and all quite devoid of emotion so then when he comes to kill people (laughs) you get that in the same level of detail and because he's a psychopath he kills them in like the most horrendous ways you can possibly imagine so oh god like what um without being too graphic <laughs> he he likes to kill homeless people and prostitutes generally so he'll just like find a homeless person in the street and and stab them and do oh other god. horrible things to them and but he describes it all completely devoid of any emotion Oh my god. So it's certainly not a book for the faint hearted. I read a lot of horror books, but this is the only book I've ever read that 
I can't end on a chapter that he's just killed somebody or tortured someone or in all the um he has a lot of sex in the book and they're all quite pornographic in how he is with women and how he describes his sexual encounters you never quite know if it's real because there's all sorts of weird things that are said and Um. because he says stuff to people he'll you know um he'll say out loud to someone he's dating who's irritating him um i mean this is going to be explicit i'll have to mark this episode as explicit (laughs) he'll be like you're a bitch and i want to murder you and chop your head off and then they don't re- then they don't react to him at all. He'll get so no reaction, be... they just carry on with the conversation. So you never know whether what he's saying is real. I'm assuming it's not, because they never react to him. So therefore you never know whether actually he's doing the things he says he's doing. Yeah, so there's this is really interesting because there's an element of some of this in Engleby as well. And he's a very very unreliable narrator he's very much manipulating what's happening to his own worldview and his own version of events so for instance there's this bit quite early on where one of his bullies at school um has an accident and then later he kind of implies that he it wasn't an accident at all like he kind of caused this injury and then later again you see kind of this therapist's report or psychiatrist's report where the psychiatrist is saying I don't believe that he really had anything to do with that and it's all this kind of like delusions of grandeur and kind of wanting to make himself seem kind of more dangerous than he is perhaps and kind of in this case and it's just yeah and it's super interesting to kind of see how people are reacting to him when he's there saying I you know I hate this I hate this guy but you know I I went along to his dinner party and like all this kind of stuff and it's just like it's really unreliable and it makes you really have to think about whether this stuff is actually happening it's really interesting yeah I quite like an unreliable narrator but I have to say American Psycho I mean It is, oh, it sounds like a whole other level. It's cleverly written, but you've got to have a strong stomach for it. <laughs> and there's, you know, the fi- I know there's a film. It's got, um, oh, God, what's his name in? Christian Bale. And... Yes. There's no... That film must seem incredibly tame compared to the book. Because seriously, because uh, the there's no way the book in all its graphic detail would be made into a film. There's no way. There's quite a makes it quite obvious that there's a clear distinction that <laughs> that actually films get age rated but books don't because yeah it's incredibly graphic. Oh so yes, I will finish it, <laughs> but I'm not <laughs> sure I'd recommend it to anyone. So the other book that I am currently listening to and I was very excited when it came out is Lethal White by Robert Galbraith which I know I'm not to talk about any of the storyline and I shall not you can you can talk about it in very vague terms because basically I can't I say can't I don't read hardbacks I really don't like hardbacks at all and this is really styming me at the moment because there are so many things that I want to read that are currently out in hardback and the more popular something is the longer they keep it in hardback 
so I'm just going to be really screwed over by this stupid rule I've created for myself. <laughs> you but listen I hate to the audiobooks. I might, I might, if it's, if I can get free credits. But I also just, I really enjoyed the process of reading the previous ones. You can ones. read it afterwards. Maybe. They're the best audiobooks I've listened to. Really? Yeah, What's so narrate, good about them? the narrate is just amazing. Okay. I think once Maybe. I finish listening to this, I want to go back and then read them all because I haven't ever read them. I've only ever listened to the audiobooks because he's so good. And are um, the audiobooks fully unabridged? Yes. Okay, that makes me feel a bit better. So then. you could listen to it and then read I it. Could. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, I just love the characters, so I think I'd so good. read or Honestly. listen to anything, any characters, like oh. any book that she puts them in. Because um, the way the third, I'm just remembering now, the way the third one ends. <gasps> yeah, so I won't, I won't spoil uh. anything. Um Oh my god, this... I'd kind of forgotten until now how the third one ends, and now I really, really, really... <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the main storyline, and this is the only fault... I mean, no, it's not, actually. I don't think any of the um, crime storylines in the books have been particularly brilliant. <laughs> no, the, the brilliance of these books is not in their crime No, writing. not at all. And I don't think this is going to be any different. Um, me and a friend are both reading it at the same time and have discussed this. It It's set it, during the Olympics and that's one of the main like plot points in it, which is quite jarring and I think it's the first time she's kind of set it in a specific time. a specific time period so we're both struggling with that a little bit that's interesting because do you know what I always thought this about Harry Potter about how that's not really set in a specific time until it is in the I think it's in the Deathly Hallows when you see the date on Harry's parents' gravestones and you realise that actually all of this is set in like the early 90s and you'd never know that kind of from reading it normally and actually that's really nice that it can just be at any point in time so I, yeah I think I kind of would struggle with that as well actually, yeah because it really think... manifests itself in a specific yeah time it's as... not that she hasn't brought any sort of modern day culture into the books because of course she has like they always has, they all yeah. use mobile phones and it's quite clearly yeah. set in the last what 10, Ten years, years so. i guess so it makes sense that the olympics would happen it's just i think especially when an event is so ingrained in your mind and, and yeah as ha- it was so profound for so many people it is a little bit jarring i will let you I'm come just... to your own conclusion your own conclusions on it um but yeah i'm really enjoying it just because if you've read the third one you'll know how it ended and and you know she's she's building on that so i'm just looking at the blurb on amazon because you because you know like if you look at the blurb you you know essentially which is essentially the back of the book you don't get any real spoilers it says when Billy, a troubled young man, comes to Private Eye Cormoran Strike's office to ask for his help investigating a crime he thinks he witnessed as a child, Strike is left deeply unsettled. 
While Billy is obviously mentally distressed and cannot remember many concrete details, there's something sincere about him and his story. But before Strike can question him further, Billy bolts from his office in a pan- in a panic. Um, and then it just kind of goes from there. So I guess that's kind of the... So then it's like, uh, trying to get to the bottom of Billy's story, Strike and Robin Ellicott set off on a twisting... Te- twisting trail that leads them through the back streets of London into a secret I can't speak I'm really sorry into a secretive inner sanctum within parliament into a beautiful but sinister manor house deep within the countryside so that sounds very traditional thriller yeah it sounds but then it's set during the Olympics oh so why why is that necessary yeah it's just a bit yeah it's a little bit weird, but I am enjoying it a lot. I think it's the longest one so far. Yeah. And just from that description, it sounds a bit Da Vinci Code. Uh, which I'm not sure I consider a compliment. It's a little bit tame compared to the Da Vinci Code, I think. No, but <laughs> more what I'm saying in terms of you know the kind of secretive inner sanctum of a of an institution and houses in the countryside and all this kind of thing. I thought the Da Vinci Code was a bit rubbish, to be honest. So. I'm hoping this will not be like the Da Vinci Code. Yeah, I don't think so. I think, like we said, it's more to do with the characters anyway. And uh, I have my own theories as to why it's long. I think it's because of the BBC TV programme and the fact that... <laughs> well, I think the fact that they've been so popular and mm. they've done them in, like, strange two-part ones one weekend and then they did the other one the weekend after, which is a bit weird when there's, like three books that they could have fleshed out into like three series i found it all very strange so i think maybe they've gauged the popularity of those and have gone for like full length yeah series job maybe at least a three-parter yeah i think so a three-parter always works quite well i think with a book adaptation but yeah so yeah i'm interested to read it are you enjoying it so far yeah i am but then I, I really like the narrator and and yeah they're, they're always well written even if the actual kind of mysteries are a bit naff <laughs> so um, we have had a request this month yay um, I love questions yeah uh, let me just find do it do always feel free to send us your questions okay so it was from at Lucy in the clouds who is currently ghoulie in a shroud which I think is <laughs> brilliant just to say um and her question she has two questions so thanks lucy um which are first best spooky books for halloween and second did you ever read point horrors in your youth um i'll answer the point horror one first yes i did not that i can remember any of the ones that i read um yeah which just shows me that i've been into horror for a very long time whereas i had the exact opposite reaction which was to have to look them up i was just like what on earth are point horrors and i saw that one of them was written by rl stein who's the writer of goosebumps yes because i used Um, to read goosebumps and then point horror is like the teenage version (laughs) i remember getting really freaked out by goosebumps and i really liked the choose your own adventure ones i thought they were really clever the ones where you like you'd read a page and then it would be like if you choose this go to page 32 if you choose this go to page 76 and i loved those but I used to get really freaked out by the actual Goosebumps ones. R.L. Stein is probably not a real person. I should think they're all re- um, 
written by a collective of authors. I'm gonna I'm gonna Google this. Um, so I did used to read the Point Horror books, but now looking at them, I don't remember any of them at all. But I remember <laughs> I used to get them from the library quite a lot and read them. Um, so yeah, they might well be where my love of horror began. R.L. Stein is a real person. Wow, he was churning R. L. those Stein. out. Yes. So I'm assuming it's really, a man. It is. It is Robert Lawrence Stein, born October eighth, nineteen forty-three, and he has written a bajillion books. That's the accurate number. <laughs> is uh, so the bajillions. point horrors were um, written by quite a few different authors. Yeah. So I'm sure some of the Goosebumps ones were. So yeah, the Give Yourself Goosebumps ones, I think, are the ones that I like. I don't think I've ever read those. They're, oh my god, they're so funny. They're like, literally, you'd start the book and you'd read a couple of pages and then it'd be like, there's a haunted house, you know, there's a house that looks creepy, you go in through the front door, do you go upstairs or do you go into the kitchen? And then it would be like, in the kitchen, there's this and this and this happening, and then... And then, like, it, you'd have to turn to different pages, and super clever, really, really clever. Um, would recommend them for sort of any, yeah, they sound fun. Sort of, I think I think you should I think you should try and get one from get hold of the one. library, yeah, because I think you'd find them really entertaining. Um, but no, never. I never read any point horror, and didn't even really know what it was as a thing. So it was like young sorry. adult, why yeah. horror books. Just no, not a horror book person at all, unfortunately. Spooky books, I can kind of get a bit more on board yeah. with. I mean, I'm assuming this person is into horror, which I could recommend, but actually, I'll just recommend one, and I suspect she's already read it because everybody kind of kind of has if they're into horror, um, and I probably have talked about it on here before, but that's a book called um, Bird Box. So if yes, you'd like you have, you have to quiet place, this. then I think you'd really like Bird Box because um, it's kind of the same concept except they, they're all like blindfolded because they can't see the monsters as opposed to um, being heard by them. Um, so that's probably one of the most recent kind of horror books that I've read and enjoyed. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of books that we could recommend for... Halloween or autumn um I today because it's the 1st of October um have started my gothic fiction read along which I've run for the past sort of four is this my third year or my fourth year I think this is no my third year it's my third year um where we choose gothic fiction to read throughout the month of October because I think what can I ask a stupid question yeah what constitutes gothic um I'd say because when I think gothic I think like Frankenstein so Frankenstein's one that we read in um this year this is in no way set up (laughs) this conversation it sounds really set up and it's absolutely not um I would say that gothic fiction is um, I mean, there's. I think there's an official kind of term for what gothic fiction is, and usually it's like set in 
spooky houses or... like Edgar Allan Poe and yeah. Dracula and Frankenstein is what I think of when I hear gothic yes so you've got the kind of classic gothic fiction um, Wuthering Heights is gothic fiction <gasps> love Wuthering Heights um, oh yeah I don't know if the spooky house is like a signaler for gothic fiction I think anything kind of atmospheric and spooky and moody in its tone um, oh. but they do generally have a spooky house in so Wuthering Heights is definitely gothic fiction Rebecca Rebecca see that's a house Jamaica in Jamaica in I mean yeah I mean that stems round a pub so yeah yeah that's so good um, I'm starting to wonder as much as I adore Rebecca I always wonder if I slightly no I definitely prefer Rebecca to Jamaica in but only just yeah I prefer Jamaica in but that might be because it is slightly more atmospheric and spooky and because you went dark. there a ago didn't you yeah I've been a few times Jam- actual so cool. Jamaica in is, is not no. not but I love she, the fact I that it's like actually <laughs> but it's like it's even the book when she wrote it was based on yeah it's the actual pub and you can still go there and except now it's alongside a motorway and yeah it's just very commercialized but yes so (laughs) um yeah those are the sort of books i'd recommend another one that's on my to be read list which i picked up in the oxfam bookshop which i know i read when i was probably about 14 and i've seen quite a few people reading on the tube recently and I don't know whether it's just one of those weird things like you know like when you learn a word and then you hear it everywhere and like recently I was thinking about this book and then I started seeing it everywhere and then I got it in my local Oxfam bookshop um it's called A Gathering Light and it's by Jennifer Donnelly and it's based on a real murder so I so this is the thing. I think this is where you and I differ is that I don't like horror, but I really like true crime. So I think that this book is where my interest in true crime came from because I'm pretty certain that I read this around the time of the Sowam murders. Mm-hmm. So when Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman got kidnapped and killed, I think I read I think this all was around the same sort of time. Um and I think that's where this... And it's quite spooky. And it's basically, like, this girl who... If memory serves, it's, like, this girl who lives in, like, a hotel or something. And one morning, a woman... Like, it's, I feel like it's, like, newlyweds or something. And the woman is murdered. Um, I'm going to Google it just quickly. Um, just to see, kind of, what it is. Oh, so it is... Uh, it is young adult I think Uh, it's set in upstate New York in 1906 based on the murder of Grace Brown which is also the basis for an American tragedy by Theodore Dreiser don't know Um, so yeah and it won the Carnegie Medal in 2003 Um, so it looks interesting I think so I think anything kind of true crimey spooky anything like that i would also really recommend like i talked about last time i think i'll be gone in the dark is brilliant was that last time or the time before yeah it's last Um, time i would totally recommend that as a spooky book but that's real life and 
might really freak you out if you're not a true crime kind of person but yeah I love autumn books Rebecca is such an autumn book as far as I'm concerned yeah no definitely um another one that is generally known for kind of uh gothic fiction or at least kind of um definitely books you'd pick up in the autumn is Sarah Waters don't know if you've read any of her stuff I've not, but she's the one that wrote Tipping the Velvet. Sure, Tipping the right? Velvet, and I've read The, the Night Paying Watch. Guests. read The Paying Guests, and um, The Little Stranger is very good, so we read that last year. Um, again, you've just made a film of that, haven't house. they? Yeah, it's out now, so at the moment. Um, so yeah, that's a very good one. Her stuff's quite dense and slow and more psychological. Mm. Um, but yeah, I really like her. I really like a house as a character. Yeah. Because I was talking about this last time as well when I was talking about A Sky Painted Gold, um, about how that house is a character, but in more of a positive way. um, That's kind of like the house is full of life and represents this whole kind of lifestyle that the narrator really wants. Um, Yeah, I think house as character is quite fun. It's quite an interesting, very commonly used. Yeah, I mean, it definitely is plays a big part in gothic fiction because i'm just thinking we're reading another shirley jackson one um the house on the haunting of hill house is that what it's called i think they're about to release a netflix series based on it that might be why i've heard of it um which i'm assuming is based in a house but i also really like her book um we have always lived in the castle which is definitely based in a house so yeah it's I think anything kind of spooky Victorian houses that, yeah, are characters in themselves generally fall into the gothic fiction category. That's cool. Yeah, no. Maybe I should... How many are you reading this year? Um, We're reading three and a poem. Hold on. It's an individual poem. The Raven... Oh, the Edgar, Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, okay. Yeah, so reading... That's like saying Howl by Allen Ginsberg is just one poem. <laughs> is What so... is the raven not one poem? No, as in it's long. Oh, uh, right, okay, yeah. Like Howl by Allen Ginsberg is like stupidly long. It's um, like a book. So we're reading Frankenstein, The Haunting of Hill House, and The Silent Companions... What's the Silent Companions? I can't remember the name. Laura Purcell, I think, is the author. Um, I, I have no idea. I don't know much about it. It sounds familiar. Other than it was supposed why. to be really good. So I think it came out last year or the year before. So we always choose a classic, then a modern classic, and then a contemporary one. Cool. And then usually a short story collection that we read throughout the month. But this year we've gone for a poem. So, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, which you can listen to various people narrating it on YouTube. So, I think Neil Gaiman. That would um, be really good. Christopher Lee, like quite, you know, people with iconic spooky voices <laughs> um, narrating it. And then obviously, I think you can get the poem free online. So, we're going to be reading that whilst listening to someone narrate it. So, yeah, I think. That's what I'd recommend. Fat. That's what I do every Halloween is read. I read horror throughout the year, but I think the autumn months were made for 
gothic fiction. Whereas I read back to school books. So like, <laughs> well, yeah. So like, when the autumn comes around, I want. I always want to reread Harry Potter. I always want to reread The Secret History. I always want to. Do you know what I mean? Anything which kind of has, I mean, even Engelbert. That's <laughs> you know, going sort back of to school. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of any. Well, yeah, books I read as a as a teenager. Um, no, but it's like anything that's got kind of a school or a university as kind of a big part of it. I think is kind of something that I quite like to read in the autumn but I think that's just me being really basic so, <laughs> yeah no it's fun I don't know I've got like hang on what five books stacked at the bottom of my bed at the moment which are my next five to be read so my aim for our next when are we next are we we're going to try and get another one in before Christmas definitely yes we should try yes. and get two in um yes that might be a push, but we'll try. Um, so I think I've read, I think I'm at 23 out of the 30 books that I wanted to read this year. So I really need to speed up yeah, move on. slightly. <laughs> um, yeah, I really do. Um, but yes, I've got five. So any more recommendations for end of the year reads that you've got? Maybe I'll read Christmas brilliant. ones soon. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Love to think about Christmas ones for December. Yes, definitely. <laughs> right, We've kept a time reasonably today, which is good. Yay! <laughs> Go us. Well done, us. I'm very proud. Awesome. Yeah, no, thanks so. so much. Yeah, and thank you for the question. Yeah. Um, I've completely forgotten your name. Lucy. Lucy? Yeah. Thank you for your question, Lucy. Yes. It is Lucy. We appreciate you very much, even if we couldn't remember your name temporarily. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks then. Yeah, Bye. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.